Love and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, coming back to you after a long layoff. And I'm really glad to be back behind the microphone because nobody knows this, but I have been very ill for the past three weeks. I finally got my voice back. I actually had to admit myself to the emergency room for the first time in my life because I was dealing with some complications from a cold that I've had. And I really wanted to get an episode out before Christmas, but I look. it looks like I'm going to be able to get this out by New Year's, which I'm very happy about. I really hope so anyway. If not before New Year's, on New Year's Day, I'll have this episode released. So I must say being admitted to a hospital is, is not a pleasant experience. I, it's the first time in my life I had an IV in me. It just, um, I won't go into details. Uh, of what happened, but basically, I, I when I went to New York City, I I got sick, and then when I came back to Tampa, I got even more sick, and things just started spiraling out of control. And you you know when you have a cold or a flu, and or if you hear about news stories of of people dying from the cold or flu, it's not the actual cold or flu; it's all these complications that happen after the fact, and that's kind of what started happening to me. Things started happening to me that were way beyond what a cold or flu should be. And instead of uh, taking any chances, I went to see a doctor. That doctor suggested I take myself to the emergency room. And that's exactly what I did. So I'm still on the mend. I'm not sure if you guys can tell my voice is a little bit off. And I can assure you I'm doing a lot of pausing in between uh you know what I'm talking just to let out a couple of coughs because it's it's still not easy for me to to talk um I have not done any training whatsoever in about three weeks but uh but yeah so it's been a tough December but I gotta say my visit my trip to New York City was fantastic I took my wife there for her birthday and and I took her to meet my my great aunt in New York City I went to New York City last year and I remember thinking to myself that I that my goodness this is going to definitely going to be the last time I see my aunt. You know, she at the time she was 96 years old and I just didn't think I was going to see her again. I just thought I just thought she'd go but but sure enough she's still going strong and and you know her mind is sharp and she was very happy to see me and meet my wife for the first time. And I also got to do a lot of things that I've never done in New York City considering that I actually lived there for 8 years. Uh, I went to a, a, a show. I went to see the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall, which was by far the best live performance I have ever seen in my life. And I don't know what I was thinking. I figured the Rockettes, ah, it's just a bunch of ladies kicking their legs up for a half hour to music. But no, it was far more than that. And um, I've never seen a better show. It, it was truly amazing. I went to uh, I went to Central Park for the first time in my life. I went to Macy's for the first time in my life. I walked Times Square at night for the first time in my life. It was just uh, really, really amazing the entire trip. I did so much. I even walked by a couple of pretty famous uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools in the area that I happened to be staying at, which was uh, uh, right around 7th Ave and, and 29th Street. So, so yeah, I was walking around. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's Hensel Gracie School right there. I didn't, I didn't know I was right in that neighborhood. I, I didn't bring a gear, my, my gi, and, and I didn't... Um, 
I, I wasn't going to take time away from my wife and celebrating her birthday just to go roll somewhere. But uh, and, and I know she would have let me, but but I wasn't going to do that to her. And uh, let's see, I also saw my first Broadway show, which was pretty cool. I watched, we, we saw Tootsie, which was hilarious. Which, by the way, shout out to the two Italian women I had to tell to shut up during the show. I mean, seriously. They wouldn't stop talking. It was, it was very, very annoying. I'm like, look, I, I paid money to sit here. I, 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 I need you guys to be quiet. Anyway. So, yeah, over, all in all, it was a good trip. I was sick for most of the trip, but I was able to keep the, the sickness at bay. But when I got home, things just went downhill for me. But anyway, look, I'm back behind the microphone. I'm here to talk all things judo. And I think on the agenda for this podcast, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to do like a kind of a year in review, even though by the time most of you listen to this, it'll already be 2020. But um, I want to do a, 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 a some parting thoughts on 2019. I want to talk briefly about the, um, ah, there I go again with my voice going. I want to talk briefly about uh, a milestone for the Judo Chop Suey podcast. And I also want to bring up an interesting blog post that I read about women in judo. I thought it was fascinating. There goes my phone. I apologize for that. But I, I think this is going to be an interesting read. I ask that you be patient with me while I read through it, but I... I thought the author of this blog post, and I'll share, uh, if you take a look at the show notes, I'll share the link for the blog. It was a really interesting perspective on women in judo, and I, it was written by a woman, and it, I just, I remember a while ago, somebody had asked me to do more topics covering women in judo. Well, here you go. This is, this is me trying to fulfill that request, and I, I also want to cover some interesting News that I, I, not really news, but uh, a, a, a little bit of information for all of you content creators out there with uh, being able to create content for Amazon Prime. I want, I want to share some of something that I discovered, which, which was a total surprise to me. So I like to bring up some podcast related news. So this past November 30th marks three years uh, since I started this hideous podcast, if you can believe that. Yeah, it is the three-year anniversary of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. And boy, I'm not sure what to think about that, to be honest. I really didn't envision myself uh, doing this thing for three years. And I really believed, uh, and I I mean this, that at some point over these past three years, somebody, anybody would have brought up, or, or I should say, taken up the mantle just to create something different, something unique. I, you know, I started this with the idea that, you know, maybe I could just do something and and put something out there that, uh, you know, that maybe will inspire somebody else to to do something even more creative and take a pot, take judo podcasting and judo related podcasting to a to a different level to to higher heights than than what I've done, and I really haven't gone all that high. Just imagine, you know, stepping onto a curb. That That's about as high as I've gone with this thing. But my goodness, three years. I mean, I, I'm even surprised that nobody's come up with a podcast saying, hey, here's a new podcast just to rebuttal all the stupid shit that Judo Dave Roman says. I mean, not even not even that. I So to all of you that listen, uh, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate all of the support over the past three years. I don't know what the future of this podcast is. I really don't have 
any intentions of quitting anytime soon, much to the chagrin of many, I'm sure. And, you know, truth be told, podcasting and, and, and broadcasting, whatever the case may be, I really would love to do this full time at some point in my life. I mean, I don't, you know, I know, you know, live broadcasting is a skill in of itself. I mean, there's so many things that I've over the over the past three years with podcasting that if I make a mistake with something I've said or, or if I've just jumbled up the words or whatever the case may be, I can just go back and edit it. But there's something about a live broadcast that um, that I simply don't have the skill set for. I know that's that's an acquired skill, and it's it's not one that I have. But 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 gosh, I I, I do love talking behind the microphone, and it's it's been an enjoyable experience. I I might I don't know I I've. I've thought about venturing into other types of podcasts, but my goodness, it's 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 hard when, I mean, it's hard enough for me to get episodes cranked out on this thing, and with my busy schedule, and you know, with work and family, and 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 certainly now uh, a, a lot of training and going to jujitsu and and doing judo and such. So my life is pretty busy. I I I would like to do more and and be more creative. I've I've considered starting a Patreon, but I. I, I don't know. I've just become a. I mean, I'm almost 45 years old, and in some ways, I've become this, this, this. Uh, how how would I put it? I- ignorant, maybe. I like. I, I see people that start Patreons and stuff, and they seem so, so, uh, so very, very creative with what they offer the listeners, and I I just don't. Other than myself, I don't know what to offer you guys. Maybe, you know, maybe a ham sandwich or something. I, I don't know, but but. Um, but as you people know, I don't I don't do this podcast for money, and, and most people that do podcasting don't really make a dime off of it. They just do it for the love of of, of podcasting and interacting with the listeners and, and and creating content and such. So, you you know, along those lines, speaking of creating content, I discovered something pretty interesting on Black Friday because I was just online doing some. Black Friday shopping. I, I didn't actually buy anything other than a printer for myself because we don't have a printer at home. But anyway, so I was just, I knew it's Black Friday. There's a bunch of sales and stuff. I'm not much of a shopper. But I decided to just do a search on judo on my search bar within the Amazon.com, you know, search search bar, whatever, you know, whatever, search screen. I guess I was hoping to find like, you know, maybe a really good discounted gi or, or, or some book that was that was on a Black Friday sale or whatever. But lo and behold, the first thing that came up was a Krav Maga video on judo. Now, mind you, I was logged into my Amazon.com account, so I have the Prime membership. So, it, so the video that came up, the very first result was a video called Real World Judo Hit Harder with a Throw. And it was a three-minute video, and well, look, I, I, I'm not going to be critical of the guy that put out this video. Um, well, I'm probably going to end up being critical just by saying that, but I, I'll just say this. It, it was not for maybe what works for Krav Maga. This might be a good thing, but showing a throw and calling it Judo the the technique demonstration was was very poor by my standards and i i really don't i i don't have the greatest ogoshi in the world but it, he was demonstrating essentially a a modified no gi version of ogoshi and it didn't look very good i know i could do better than that 
But what I thought was interesting was I, I was thinking to myself, my goodness, how did how did this guy get a three minute video with this title up on Amazon Prime so that I could pull up on my Prime account? So I started, you know, just kind of doing a little bit of search and maybe everybody knows this but me, but apparently just about anybody can upload a video to Amazon Prime. That, that there isn't there are uploading requirements, you know, for example, I I did a little bit of digging on this, but you you got to have you have to have closed captions on your video, you have to have specific artwork. Uh, the video's got to be in certain formats with certain frame rates and, and with certain, uh, you know, it's got to be like in 16 by, by 9, that's ideal and such. But other than those requirements, I think just about anybody can upload videos to Amazon Prime. And I thought this was really interesting because I know I've got listeners out there that are content creators and they, they sell merchandise and such. You know, I'm thinking, you know, people like, you know, Dr. Roddy Ferguson, Travis Stevens, you know, with his judo fanatics, you know, the, the fellows out in the UK, at least I think it's the UK, um, efficient judo. I mean, you know, these guys are content creators and, and they, they create things to sell uh, uh, products on, the, on their websites and such. So this could be a tremendous opportunity because this guy that was doing the Krav Maga video for judo or judo for Krav Maga or whatever you want to call it. When I clicked on his name, it, it brought me to his basically like an Amazon store of all the products that he actually sells. So I, you know, for those of you that are out there that are content creators, this might be a tremendous opportunity for you guys it, it, to be able to to put out your products and advertise in a way that YouTube really kind of drops the ball on. I, I mean, sure. You, I mean, obviously, YouTube's the most popular video platform out there. It looks like another way to tie in your your you, you know what your products are or what you're selling to to videos that you can show on Amazon Prime. So, I think it's it's it could be a good opportunity. I don't know the the specifics of selling products on Amazon Prime. I mean, perhaps you know perhaps the people that produce content for sale out there on the internet for for judo and Brazilian jiu jitsu. I don't perhaps like Amazon.com cuts into those kind of profits. I, I'm sure they do. In some way, so maybe it's not the, not the most ideal. But I did think it was interesting. You, you could you could put uh, you could put videos out there that you can rent and you you or for people to buy through Amazon Prime. I just I I just thought it was interesting, and the possibilities are out there. Uh, you you could put up a trailer. You could put up you know have people rent it for a day or whatever the case may be. Um, so I don't know. It's just something that I wanted to put out there that I discovered. Um, and I'm sure most of you already knew that anyway, but it was just something that I thought was really interesting. It could be beneficial uh, for the people out there that produce content. I'm I am not going to produce anything to put up on on Amazon Prime um, because I'm not really selling anything, and I'm not going to record myself doing a podcast sitting at my desk talking into a microphone. That's that's not that doesn't make for interesting Prime television. So a few days ago, I came across this article that really was a, a, a news on a global scale, not just specific to judo. Russia has been banned for four years uh, by the World Anti-Doping Agency, and, and that includes the 2020 Olympics and the 2022 World Cup. So Russia, um, like I just said, they've been banned for four years from all major sporting events, and 
Now that impacts judo directly because Russia is has a very strong uh, national team for judo on both the men's and women's side. Now, before I get into you know the specific the specifics for judo, it's my understanding from reading the article uh, from BBC.com that uh, this ban has come at, on the heels of uh, Russia Russia's anti-doping agency being non-compliant with, with the with WADA, World Anti-Doping Agency, uh, for manipulating laboratory data handed over to investigators uh, from WADA uh, and, and back in January of this year, earlier this year. And I, I tell you what, <laughs> I, this is really outrageous. I think the, the president of, of WADA had uh, stated the following when it came to Russia. <laughs> for too long, Russian doping has detracted from clean sports. The blatant breach by the Russian authorities of uh, Rusada's reinstatement conditions demanded a robust response. So I guess this has been a continuing thing. Now, it was not, I did not know this about Russia in the previous Olympics, which is the 2018 Olympics, that 168 Russian athletes competed under a neutral flag. And furthermore, I didn't know Russia had been banned from competing as a nation in uh, sports since 2015. This was all news to me. I mean, I don't. Look, I'm a I'm a red-blooded American, so I, I don't care really what goes on with Russia and Russian sports, quite frankly. And I only really care about it from the context of judo, which which Russia has been competing under their flag and under their national anthem in judo for quite some time, obviously. Now, in the Olympics, though, because of this ban, and really this ongoing ban, uh, for those who are not aware, any judo athletes that do not fall under this disciplinary action will be able to compete in the Olympics, but they will, again, just like I just said for, for the 2018 Olympics, they will have to do so under a neutral flag. And what that means is that Russia as a country will get no credit for any medals won on the international stage of the Olympics. So this is really huge. I mean, there, there's plenty of Russian athletes that I that I love following, and I got to tell you, every single one of them has to prove to WADA that um, that they are clean. And you know, from a judo point of view, we would all like to assume and believe that all countries are competing fairly, that no one uh, does uses any performance enhancing drugs and, and or any supplements that give a clear and a legal advantage to uh, to themselves. But let's be real, you know, even at the IJF level, the stakes are very high and it really wouldn't shock me if most of the athletes on the IJF World Tour are not clean. And look, it's just I've just come to accept that when it comes to sports at the highest levels. And just because an athlete tests clean, it doesn't mean that they're not using performance enhancing supplements or drugs, whatever the case may be. It just means they've learned how to beat the system. And you know what? And this is going to sound really bad. In, in some ways, I, I don't care. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and fake outrage if I found out that the entire Japanese national team was using performance-enhancing drugs. I, I, I wouldn't care because when as a spectator, I just want to see big throws. I don't know. I, maybe that's not a politically correct take to have, but I, that's, that's really how I feel. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit here behind a microphone. If it was found out that... That somebody like, I don't know, Gurum Tushishvili was juicing, for example. 
I wouldn't care. I wouldn't be sitting here behind the microphone saying, Oh my God, I can't believe he did that. He must be banned for life. No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel that strongly about it at all. I just I, I, I wouldn't I mean I think it's a shame for the people that are trying to do it cleanly, but I just assume everybody is is dirty at the highest levels. And I I don't mean that as a personal attack. That's just it, it's just the stakes are too high. And that's that's how I see it. So interesting story. I'm sure Russia's not the not the dirtiest, uh, or, or is not the only country that is dirty when it comes to their their uh, training regimen or whatever you want to call it. They just happen to be the ones that uh, got caught, and they've probably been very, what's the word, kind of in your face about it, just just very deliberate and very arrogant about the whole thing. So I want to share with you a blog post that I read about a month ago or so, and. I thought this was a really interesting post because, well, one, I, I remember a long time ago, I, I've had listeners ask me to do, you know, some topics and such about women in judo. And, and this one came across about a month ago. And I, I really wanted to share with you, my beloved listeners, because this was a perspective on judo that I've never really heard before. And I just thought it was really interesting and I felt that the author of this article, uh, her name is Holly, um, made some really interesting points. They're points that I can't say are, are, are correct or incorrect because I, I've never been a woman for one day in my life. But I just thought it was an interesting perspective. So I like to read it. It's probably going to be kind of a long read. But um, or or maybe I'll just I'll, I'll just pick some of the highlights here. I'll, I'll start off and then I'll you know do my usual thing and skip it around. So try and keep up here. So the article or the, the the headline of this article is called "The Gentle Tempest: Femininity." Did I get that right? Yeah, femininity <laughs> in martial arts. It goes like this: Of young girls in judo, seventy five percent drop out in the eleven to thirteen age range. 75%. Girls drop out of judo at an alarming rate. Women don't try or stay in judo at an alarming rate. In my old Krav Maga school, at least half of it, not more of the students were women, but not in my judo dojo or any judo dojos I have been to, which is admittedly limited. But even if I have been to a limited number of judo dojos, the statistics remain the same. Girls do not stay in judo. And the ones that do, that's been a difficult topic for many years. It took fighting for one of Kano's prominent female students, Kaiko Fukuda, to receive her ninth Don black belt. She was a fifth Don for 30 years because there were just no precedent to promote a woman beyond that. Kaiko was one of the few students Kano selected and trained to be ambassadors of judo to other countries and eventually moved to the United States where she lived the rest of her life teaching judo. In Recent years in America, it seems that women who succeed in judo succeed by becoming one of the guys. They are aggressive and competitive, and they play like the men do. They train like the men do. There is strength in that. There is strength in bucking the traditional views of femininity. I applaud them for doing it, and I applaud them for living their lives the way they want to. But I do not want to be one of the guys to improve in judo. I am gentle, caring, soft. I am not aggressive by nature or very competitive, and I don't want to be. Humans enjoy classifying things. It is normal to want to find people like yourself, to find similarities. It is how we make connections. 
It is observed in babies showing preference for stuffed animals. The babies believe like the same snacks as them. We like things that are like us, and we figure out things that are like us by classifying them, stereotyping them, fitting them into neat little boxes. It is human nature. So now we have women in judo. They originally fit into the box of women judoka by being told they couldn't have families. Kaiko Fukuda did not have a family. She gave that option up for herself in exchange for a love of judo. And then Rina uh, Kanokogi came along. Kanokogi dressed as a man to compete when women weren't allowed to, beat all the men, was stripped of her medal, and eventually was the first woman to train the men's division at the Kodokan. In a time where women judoka did not have families, she got married, had children, and still was the pioneer for women's judo in the Olympics. The new stereotype of women judoka is that they have to be one of the guys. It makes sense to us humans. They do a man's sport. Heck, they beat men sometimes in the man's sport. But they do it by being one of the guys. And for us women, the ones that don't want to be that stereotype, we do not stay in judo. American judo is strong. It is aggressive. It is angry almost. It is, as most American things, quintessentially American. Boy, <laughs> just just breaking for a moment here. That is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful paragraph, couple of sentences there to, to describe American judo and really Americans as a whole. I, I'm sure on the world stage we're viewed a certain way. But, but truth be told, when it comes to competition in sports, that really is exactly who we are. And I think it shows itself a lot more in, in freestyle and folk style wrestling than it does in, in many other sports. But that is certainly true. What a, what a wonderful comment and, and very, very on point. All right, so continuing on. And this story, while not exact between my martial arts sisters, is similar to other martial artists. Which brings us here. What Gentle Tempest was created for. That's the name of her blog. I do not want to take the strength out of American martial arts. I do not want to take the aggression out of it. Those are good things. But the world does not exist in one color. As people, we should not exist in one way. And as an art form, martial arts should not only be masculine or only feminine. As in all things, there should be balance. And currently, American martial arts holds heavy side on... Holds on the side of mas- ma- holds heavy on the side of masculinity. Apologies. I do not want to completely change martial arts, but I also do not want to be shoehorned into a role of masculinity that is not who I am. Men and women are different. Even our brains are different. Recent studies show that the structure and function of women's and men's brains differ. For instance, women tend to have verbal centers on both halves of the brain. Don't we know it? In women, the right side. (laughs) Sorry about that. All right, continuing on. In women, the right half of the brain tends to be bigger. And in men, it is the left half of the brain. Women tend to have more communication between brain halves and therefore a larger corpus callosum than men. Men tend to have more communication within the individual sections of the brain. None of these things make either sex smarter. In fact, we're not exactly sure how this impacts thought, processing, or even behavior, but we think it does. What it does mean is that women have something special and different to bring to martial arts. Our perception and experiences offer something to the sport and of martial arts, just as men's do. 
I do not want to completely change martial arts. I do not want to be one of the guys. I want my thoughts, feelings, perceptions, and style of martial arts to be acknowledged and respected for what it is without it without putting it into a box of masculinity or comparing it to masculinity. Femininity has something great to offer martial arts. Kano knew that. His principle of Jita Kyoye, mutual benefit and welfare, is typically considered feminine, focusing on the good of the group, benefiting all, rather than winning at all costs. That is a feminine quality. Femininity has always been a part of judo, of judo and many other martial arts. In Tai Chi, for example, Gerda Geddes and Sophia Dietze were pioneers of Western Tai Chi. Both dancers, they learned Tai Chi while in China and brought it back to their Western countries, England and America respectively. They saw Tai Chi as a way of holistic healing. In fact, Geddes was working on a way to combine dance and psychotherapy when she discovered that Tai Chi essentially did that. They were able to train Tai Chi, which was a feat in itself when many, many martial arts schools did not allow Westerns to train at all, and brought it back to their home countries. Diza used public demonstrations to gain students and eventually taught Tai Chi at Carnegie Hall and the United Nations in New York. However, as masculine martial arts rose in popularity, Dietze and Gaty's holistic, quote-unquote, soft style fell by the wayside. Although they pioneered Tai Chi in the Western world, they are hardly mentioned anymore. Women have always been a part of martial arts, Though women's contributions have been downplayed or altogether acknowledged, they have always been there. Gentle Tempest was created to promote that conversation. Promote the conversation about women in martial arts. Have, I'm sorry, uh, have the contributions of women acknowledged and encourage women to join martial arts with their unique perspectives and to stay. Women belong in the dojo. We want to get them there and help them stay. All right, that's 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 the blog post post that that that's quite a read and, and quite an article, and I really think she touched on some really interesting points and in a perspective that has never really. Uh, well, I should say I have noticed that a lot of what she's talking about, but it's it's a topic that I've just never really given much thought. To be honest, if you want to visit her website, her her blog, it's called Gentle Tempest. It's rosyhorse12.wixsite.com that's r-o-s-e-y-h-o-r-s-t h-o-r-s-e 12.wixsite w-i-x-s-i-t-e dot com forward slash my site now look I don't know how to really continue the conversation and address this post without gosh sounding like a pig but I'm going to try and do the best that I can. So I think she has a lot of good points here. Um, I will say that the women that I have encountered in judo, most of them, um, not all, certainly not all, but I would certainly say 90%, they fall into that more masculine, uh, tough girl type of stereotype. So I don't know if this term is even used anymore, but but one would call uh, women like this tomboys. 
And that's one of those old school terms, which is perfectly acceptable 30 years ago. But probably today, I would be viewed as a uh, politically incorrect or something like that. I don't know. I, I don't care either. Now, I don't know where she got the number that 75% of young girls in judo drop out in the 11 to 13-year-old range. I mean, I don't know where she got that number. That's an interesting number. I, I wish she had she had cited that in the article. But she didn't. However, that number does not surprise me one bit. And, you know, that's the age where really boys and girls start developing physically and, you know, personalities change and desires change. And you know what I'm getting at. The whole uh, puberty, really, everything changes. And a lot of kids at that age want different things. And for, for girls, they become interested in other things. And, and like she stated in the article, people like to be associated with other people who are like themselves. And in a judo dojo, especially in the United States, where it's so, uh, in, in many places, competition-focused, the clubs are run by men. It's predominantly men. And a lot of times, the training regimen and classes are not really tailored to not just women, but maybe people that just want to do judo for fitness or for fun or for, you, you, you know, self-defense. Really, really all the things that are just completely opposite of what the IJF's charter is. And I'm not saying the IJF's charter is a bad thing, but, but IJF concerns itself with sport. And every other national governing body follows suit for the most part. Now, I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway I really don't like drawing parallels to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, even though I do both. But the fact remains is that in my estimation, in my observation, I think Brazilian jiu-jitsu does a better job in appealing to those type of ladies, ladies that are more feminine. And certainly at my club, there are many women that are like that, probably... Well, I'm not going to put percentages of that. I would say most of them are are very feminine. And that the type of women that you would not typically see in, in a judo dojo. And I, I don't I don't understand what the theory. It can't be just the throwing. It it cannot I refuse to believe that it, it it comes down to the throws that women don't want to get thrown. I I don't believe that for a second. I I'll just go as far as saying this. I think in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, one can gain skills or, or, or I should say many instructors teach in a way where you can find success in Brazilian jiu-jitsu by being gentle and flexible and yielding. Basically what the word judo means, you can find that kind of training and training partners that want to train in that sort of way. I mean, jiu-jitsu will always have those guys that want to go 100%. Um, I'm certainly not there anymore. I, I, I can't roll. I can't roll like that all the time. Not even, not even half the time anymore. It's just, it, I mean, my, my body hurts, my fingers hurt. It, it just, I don't recover in, in order for me to train consistently. I don't recover in my, at this point in my life in the way that I, I, I used to. And I have to respect my body and and my and the demands for my body. So I mean, there are times that I roll hard, but I can't do that all the time. And jujitsu allows me uh, to train in that way. And, and there are times where I roll with women where I, I've actually had. I remember this one role probably about a, a uh, six months ago or so. I was rolling with one of the ladies who was who I would definitely consider very feminine. 
and we had a it was like a five minute roll and we had a fantastic roll. And it looked so good that there were a few people that commented who were watching saying, wow, you guys look fantastic. And, you know, and I rem- what I remember of that role is that I was just moving. I wasn't forcing anything. I was just doing things that, you, you know, she tapped me out a couple of times. I got her once or twice. And it, it didn't it was really a, a no ego type of role. We were just moving. No, no strength, no aggression. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu allows for that kind of training. And I think Judo should allow for that kind of training. But in many schools and many clubs, uh, uh, Judo Sensei out there, they, they take a page out of American wrestling and, that's, and, and they take the, the mindset and approach to, to uh, teaching Judo from a, a page out of wrestling. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you do that, you are going to alienate people that are just looking for you know, fitness and some self-defense. And I, I swear, I, I stand by this, that you can do judo in the same way that people roll, flow roll in Brazilian jiu-jitsu almost. Not, not flow roll, but, you know, go light. You can do judo that way. And a lot of people don't, don't do it that way. And I, I really don't understand why. I, I mean, I know I've broached this subject before on episodes past, but I, I just don't know why that is. I know there are judo clubs out there that aren't quite that way, but 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 most of them are competition focused. And there have been some clubs that I've been at where you, you, you're training for the next competition where in, in jiu-jitsu, at least in my club, you, you go there to train to get better at jiu-jitsu not necessarily get better at winning jiu-jitsu matches. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if the mindset were to change in judo, I, I do think there would be a, 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 a growth in popularity and a growth in attendance. And look, I'm not saying make judo easier. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all because Brazilian jiu-jitsu isn't easy. And in many ways, it's physically demanding. I, I tell you what, my hands... My hands hurt more over the past year in jiu-jitsu than they ever did in all the years that I did judo and all the, all the hundreds of hours, thousands maybe, that I've done grip fighting. My, my hands don't hurt anywhere near as badly over the, you know, the 13 years I've been doing uh, judo versus the one year I've been doing jiu-jitsu. My hands are killing me now. So, I mean, and, and maybe that's because I like playing a lot of spider guard, but actually I know that's exactly why my hands are killing me. But what I'm trying to say is that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu does take a toll on the body. It just takes a different toll, but it, but it doesn't scare away a lot of the type of women that obviously the author of this blog is, is you know, I think she would fit in my Jiu-Jitsu club a lot better. And it would be more of what she's looking for in terms of a training environment. And I look, it's, it's, just, it's just a shame. I don't know what other countries are like. But boy, her comments on what American martial arts is like, or, or really even judo, that it's that it's strong, it's aggressive, it's almost angry. I mean, she she's right, and, and that's I don't think that's just a judo thing. I I mean I I or that's just an American thing. I've certainly noticed that. Uh, I I I call it Caribbean judo. I I notice a lot of pe- a, a lot of judoka from Cuba and uh, Puerto Rico and some of the other Caribbean islands. They're their judo is very is very much the same way, maybe even a little bit more aggressive than what we may see in the United States. 
So it's an interesting observation by me. I, I hope I covered this story and some of my opinions in a very respectful way. I did was not looking to offend anybody or anything like that. I would be interested. I know I have female listeners out there. I would be interested to hear your take on this seg- segment, on this discussion. I'd love to hear your experiences about that. Even even the ladies out there that are uh, more, for, for lack of a better term, more masculine. Or maybe, maybe more masculine is not the right word. I, I would like to hear from women who may be... You know, they're more on the feminine side, but they loved judo so much that they they stuck with it and they just be they just accepted it for what it was. I would love to hear that or hear from you, I should say. Anyway, moving along. I'd like to close out the podcast uh, doing a little year in review with regards to some of the biggest stories in judo in 2019. I think these are I mean, these are all going to be stories that I covered. But but certainly the impacts of these stories will be felt uh, for years to come by many, uh, certainly many people that follow judo and certainly people that, that know uh, some of these athletes personally. I'll start off with Saeed Molai. I think by far that was the biggest story of the year. And to be more clear for, for any new, new listeners out there, I'm talking about Saeed Molai and Iran and Saeed throwing fights so that he can avoid fighting Israelis. And look, that was probably the the biggest story and really the most disgraceful story of 2019 in the world of judo because, look, I, I said I was talking about this a couple of days ago on, on, a, on a discussion that Saeed Molai being forced to throw fights uh, really screwed up the under 81 uh, kilo division in the world championships. And I hate sounding like I'm taking something away from Matthias Kasse because I think he's a fantastic judoka. But we all know, people that follow the IJF, we all know that that final should have been uh, Saeed Molai of Iran versus Sagi Muki of Israel. That's what it was going to be before the Iranian government threatened Saeed Molai and his family to the point that he was forced to throw the match against Matthias Kasse. And you know, when something like that happens, it, it really throws into question the, the, the validity of the, the placements in that tournament, in that particular world championship. And it, it, it hurts the athletes as a whole, especially somebody like Matthias Kasse, who I feel his silver medal will always be... Gosh, I, I know it's a strong word, but I feel it's tainted be, because of what happened there. I'm not saying that on any given day, Matthias Kasse could not beat uh, Saeed Malai. I just know that at his very best, if, if, I, if I was a betting man, and actually, quite frankly, I am a betting man, I would have bet my house that day on, on Saeed Malai beating Matthias Kasse in a, in a fair match. But it was not a fair match. And that's really unfortunate for Matthias Kasse and certainly for... for uh, Saeed Malai, especially for Saeed Malai. And you know, the, the, the good thing about that happening is that Saeed Malai is now competing uh, on the refugee team. And earlier this year in a in a Instagram post, uh, Saeed Malai called Sagi Muki uh, my best friend. So, I mean, it's I think it's tremendous where 
this is right now compared to where it was back at the the World Championships and all throughout this year, seeing how tormented uh, Saeed Mulai has been over having to throw matches so that he wouldn't fight uh, Sagimuki in any competition or share a podium uh, with any Israeli. And I, I just think that's disgusting. And, and anybody who supports that that kind of action by the Iranian go- government is also disgusting. So to me, the, the, the story with Saeed Molai in Iran is the biggest story of the year in judo for 2019. Uh, I also think following that, uh, 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 the, the tragic stories of Craig Fallon and, and Jack Hatton, to me, they they just um, really hurt the, the judo community in a different way. And I know many people uh, grieved uh, those two losses, uh, certainly. And um, I, I just think that was probably the second biggest stories of, of the year, just, just the shock and sadness of it all and... And, and maybe just a wake-up call to perhaps some of the stresses that, that athletes on the IGF World Tour and, and athletes whose competitive careers are over with that, that they may deal with in the, in the post-fight depression and the post-career depressions that sink in. And I, I've heard a lot of athletes that um, that compete at the Olympics and lose and don't even come close to, you know, earning a medal at the Olympics when they come home. Apparently there's a real deep depression that that overtakes many of them. I I, I believe if I recall correctly, I once either read or heard uh, uh, Matt DiAquino uh, uh, over who fought for Australia talk about the the real depths of sadness uh, after his loss in, I believe, the Beijing Games in uh, 2008. So, Certainly, these two tragic deaths are a reminder of of mental health issues, just not with not only with our personal lives, but certainly in observation with the athletes on the IGF World Tour. We got to be a little bit more sensitive to their needs and make sure that their mental health is just as good as their physical health. And I and I think it serves as a wake up call to all judo federations that we, we that they all need to be cognizant of that. Now, some of the other stories that come to mind immediately is was the matchup between uh, Uta Abe and Majlinda Kelmendi. That was the matchup we all wanted, and it happened at the World Championships. Let's see what else. Jose Fonseca uh, earning a gold medal at the World Championships in his lovely dance. That's certainly a, a, a memorable, uh, positive highlight of the judo calendar year. Uh, Teddy Renner finally made his return to action. It was always it's always great to see Teddy compete, and I know that he has been confirmed to compete at the Tel Aviv uh, Grand Slam, or, or is it a Grand Prix? I can't remember. Grand Slam, Grand Prix, one of those. He's going to be there in Tel Aviv at the beginning of the year. I would love to see uh, Sagi Muki and Saeed Malai compete against each other at that event. That <coughs> excuse me, that would be a dream matchup for me. Dario Bilodid winning uh, her her second consecutive world championship. That was a huge moment as well and put on just a brilliant display of judo. Uh, Hachimoto of Japan just putting on an awesome display at the world championships. Oh, and something else that was a a really big win that happened not that long ago. Uh, Hifumi Abe finally defeated um, Maruyama at the Osaka Grand Slam, which really should have been called the... All Japan Judo Championships held at Osaka because that 
particular tournament was very important for all of the for the Japanese national team in trying to earn a spot in the uh, to represent Tokyo at the Olympics. Now, this is the thing I don't understand. Why is it that Abe had to win this match in order to have a shot at at making it on that team? When especially when you compare the two. You've got uh, Hifumi Abe has won two world championships over the past four years. He's got more uh, first place finishes than Maruyama over the past four years. So I, I don't really understand the thought process behind uh, with the All Japan Judo Federation, uh, Maruyama having a, a, a leg up against Abe uh, to earn that spot to represent the under 66 kilo division. I. I don't get it, but you know, if somebody can explain it to me, that would be fantastic. Because when you look at the head-to-head over the past couple of years, Abe has had a better year and had had a more successful career. And that's not, that's not. I'm not trying to take anything away from Maruyama, but my goodness, I mean, you know, we're we're talking about two world championships uh, compared to one uh, in favor of Hifumi Abe, seven Grand Slam uh, gold medals compared to uh, two for Maruyama. And, um, you know, one one gold medal for Kifumi Abe at a Grand Prix compared to, well, compared to two for Maruyama. But really, Kifumi I, I, Abe has won more gold medals over the past uh, few years, and I, I just don't understand why that would even be a debate. Now, something else that I completely forgot to mention about, and I, I was talking about this earlier with Saeed Molai. Um, Saeed Molai is now a... A resident or, or citizen of Mongolia. Earlier in the in this month, uh, right in the beginning of December, the president of Mongolia, Katmalgin Batugla, uh, handed Saeed Molai citizenship papers, and I, I, I guess expedited the process. So moving forward, Saeed Molai is not going to be participating under the IJF refugee flag. He's going to be competing as a Mongolian and, and with the Mongolian national team. Now, of course, that really sucks for Ugambatar Atangbatar uh, of Mongolia, who's uh, who has been the under 81 kilo uh, representative from Mongolia. He's currently ranked number 23, and he's got uh, uh, 2,300 something points um, in, in, on the world ranking list. I, I don't know what his points are for the Olympic ranking list, but. You know, while I think what the president of Mongolia did, who is also a judoka, if for those who don't know, uh, what the president of Mongolia did was was a really noble thing to do. But of course, you know, I don't I don't want to ever forget uh, the cost on how that impacts other people who are uh, native Mongolians. So, but but still, I am happy for Saeed Molai that he's going to be able to continue um, earning world ranking list points and 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 points toward olympic qualification under a national flag and not under the IJF uh, refugee flag. Now, I, and I would venture to guess that exceptions were made for for Saeed Molai to in order to I don't know if he gets to retain his olympic points. Maybe he just has to compete in every tournament from here on out to make sure that he gets that qualification, but currently he's ranked number 4 in the world. In the under eighty one kilo division, and I don't envision that uh, him having any problems uh, making it to the Olympics. So let's see. Am I missing any other big stories? I, I I'm tr- those are the ones that really stuck out in my mind. Sure, I could break down, uh, you know, big wins and big tournaments and such, but I I was thinking uh, uh on a scope beyond that. 
Oh, oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. I can't believe it. Um, the IJF still has a leg grab ban. There you go. Thank you very much. All right, I think I want to start winding things down on this episode. I uh, I want to talk about some of my goals for 2020, and that that starts with um. I want to compete in a jiu-jitsu competition, uh, at least one this year. I, I didn't do it last year. I, I should have. I, I just didn't get around to it. I, I was injured quite a bit. Um, if it wasn't my back, it was my groin. If it wasn't my groin, it was my back again. So I'm, I'm looking to be uh, certainly more dedicated toward my health and flexibility and such for 2020. Uh, I do want to compete at least once. I have already changed my eating habits because I want to compete at a lighter weight than what I'm currently walking around at, which is at, uh, I probably walk around right now at about 162 pounds. I, I, I really should be right around uh, probably 152 or so. I, I think, I'm not sure with um, jiu-jitsu, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu weight classes, but I think there's a weight class that's like uh, 154 pounds in the gi. So if if I do any competitions, it's it's got to be in that weight class because I I think oh the next class higher I'm gonna be dealing with guys that are 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 a lot stronger so I think it makes more sense for me to be at that uh, 154 weight category which means for me in a gi that that probably means that I need to get around to a a walking around weight uh, of close to 150 pounds I. I'm not the type because I don't. I'm I'm not a serious competitor. I, I never really have been. I've done competitions, but I've never been a serious competitor. So for me personally, I don't believe in cutting weight. And quite frankly, I don't think at a. I think at a lot of these uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments, they weigh you the day of. So, you know, it's not like you you get there the night before and you 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 know you come up you come in there all shredded and dehydrated and then you you end up eating a large dinner or you know that that evening or whatever i can't i don't think you can do that at a lot of jujitsu tournaments so i i need to my walking around around weight has got to be around probably about 150 to 152 so i need to drop about 10 pounds of fat and i know i can do that because i found this amazing salad i it's a like a grilled or a garlic chicken uh, our garlic parmesan chicken salad that that I've been making lately. It's got uh, spinach and lettuce and and baked chicken and avocados and some light balsamic dressing. The thing's amazing. I could eat that thing every day for for the next three months and be totally content. And that's exactly pretty much what I plan on doing. So between that and and some steaks on on the grill, maybe mix in a potato and. Uh, some Lara bars. I, I think I'll be good to go. I think I can make um, the weight that I want to be at in, in just uh, just a few months, quite frankly. My biggest downfall is cereal. I, I love things like Captain Crunchberries and, and, and Raisin Bran. And, you know, uh, I, a lot of my routine over the past six to eight months has been, you know, I, I try and eat healthy. But then at night, like when I'm sitting around watching TV or whatever, I'll grab a bowl of cereal and I, I got to stop doing that. That's that's where all my weight uh, has piled on in the past year. I, I uh, uh, like about a year ago, I was um, probably about 148, 150 pounds. I was very lean. I looked pretty good, I must say. But um, but yeah, I started getting uh, the, the, the special K with strawberries and, and raisin bran and 
and Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries and, and Golden Grams. Like th- those those four things are, are like are I'm addicted to those things. So I, I got to I got to stay away from that stuff. And and uh, that's what I plan on doing. So I've already made um, commitments to change my my eating. I'm eating a lot more carrots, some some almonds and and, and just a lot of spinach and greens. So. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm looking forward to those changes. Hopefully by uh, by March I'll be where I'm at and, and, you know, maybe I can keep an eye out for local tournaments. I have no real interest in traveling far. And, and that's a great thing about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is that there's usually a few tournaments a year in the Tampa Bay area where, you know, unlike Judo, I have to drive all the way down to Miami. It's a hotel stay, and, and that's why I really don't do it. In 2020, I, I, I hear that JudoCon is going to be up in uh, Coventry, Rhode Island at uh, Serge Bouyasu's club. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to um, going to New York City sometime in March or April. It depends. Now, last year, I was invited by Travis Stevens to be a VIP at the New York Open. So I'm hoping that invite is good for this year, but I haven't really confirmed that. So Travis, if you're listening... Let me know if you guys want to have me up there. I would love to cover the event. And if not, I'll probably end up in New York City in April because I know there's going to be some kind of freestyle judo clinic going in New going on in New York City and it'll give me a chance to to not only go, go back to the city that I love visiting, it'll I'll, I'll be able to see my aunt again, I'll be able to see old friends. And uh, my cousin is moving to New York City, so I'll have a place to stay there if I can't stay with my aunt, which I'm sure she'll let me stay there, which isn't a problem. Let's see, what else? Have you guys watched The Mandalorian on Disney Plus? Disney Plus, that new streaming service, it's a really good show. I think they nailed the Star Wars universe great. Unlike the crap show that's been going on the past uh, couple of years with the Star Wars movies. I'm going to be seeing the final Star Wars movie tonight. I'm sure it's going to be garbage, but um, I mean, I, I made it this far. If this was poker... I pretty much pushed all of my chips in and I got a chip in a chair. So I might as well play that last chip and 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 see how this Star Wars wonderful saga ends. Because I simply must know what happens to Poe Dameron and Finn and Ray and 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 that Asian chick that I don't even know her name. I I, I mean, you know, I know Luke is dead. Maybe they'll have a CGI Leia or something flying around like she did in the previous movie. Kind of like uh, Mary Poppins or something. That would be kind of cool and sad and pathetic at the same time. I just really hope that this movie doesn't end with us finding out that Rey is like the granddaughter or grandniece of Emperor Palpatine or some stupid crap like that. Like that would really... <laughs> that that would I, I might walk out of the movie if that actually happens. I, I, which it, at this point it wouldn't shock me. Alright so let's see. Is that it? That's gotta be it. I'm, I'm creeping up toward an hour here. And uh, I think it's time for me to zip it. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. Happy New Year to you all. And I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open, open, open.